If you could fit the world's perfect diet on just an index card, what would it say? That's what this week's show is about. Hey guys, Clark, host of the Paleo Hacks podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Happy Thursday. Hope your week is going well. Today on the show, we got Mike Mutzel, author of The Belly Fat Effect. Today to talk about a wide range of topics. Uh, We moved a mile a minute in this call. I don't know if it was the coffee or the passion or a mix of everything in between, but all things centered around, again, fitting it on an index card, simplifying things, and um, incorporating health into your lifestyle. We should have done this one in person. Mike is from Seattle, which is where I'm located, um, and we should have just met up in person, but that's okay. All the more reason to do round two. We are on fire, everybody. Um, I was looking at our iTunes feed, and I don't think we've missed a week in the last, I want to say 15. I can't remember if it's 15 or 20. But that's a lot, 20 shows in a row. So be sure you're going through, checking out the previous shows so you never miss an episode. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. Helps out the show. And then if you really want to go for it, you can go over to paleohacks.com. This is the home base. This is where everything happens. This is where the newsletter is, where you can get all sorts of updates over there. Uh, these are where our timestamps are, so you never miss anything in these episodes. Um, and the highlights over there at paleohacks.com. We also post the video version of these calls. I, I, I'm pretty sure it goes without saying, but these are video. You can see our pretty faces react throughout the whole thing. You capture a lot more. Um, so that's on YouTube. It's, it's just depends how you like to consume your content. First course I've ever put out, The Ultimate Guide to Keeping a Journal. Get that at mybestjournal.com. That is mybestjournal.com. Improve your self-growth, your mental clarity. If you like personal development, self-help, all that kind of stuff we bring up on the show, but we can't really get into. Um, I put together a course that I lead, lead you through. It's like 13 units, and it's all about how to keep a journal with the with the emphasis of using it as a tool for self-development. That's it for announcements. You ready for the show? I'm ready for you to hear it. Let's go hear what Mike Mutzel has to say. My next guest is author of The Belly Fat Effect, founder of High Intensity Health and fellow Seattleite. With us today to get you skinny, Mike Mutzel. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here, Clark. Good to see you, man. Um, ready for this show. You know, we're talking primarily about fat loss and, and different hormones that can ma- make us fat and have an effect on our on our health. And I was browsing before the show on Instagram, went over to Mike Mutzel's Instagram page and right there, man, washboard six pack abs. <laughs> and health isn't always about the looks, but when you're talking about fat loss, uh, I think your body's your resume. So definitely uh, credible in that area. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to start the show, just talking about Mike's abs. Um, right, right. And I don't know if you read the comments, Clark, but that was pretty controversial. Some people jumped in and said, like, you know, when I was at, my, it was a lot of women, like around mid 30s, and saying, like, yeah, no matter what I try, I can't get that washboard ab look. I've done all these different things. So I started to kind of comment back and ask some questions, like, what were you doing for training? Yeah. Were you doing cardio, yoga, resistance? So I think that's a nice segue, you know, because people, First of all, we'll just kind of launch. I mean, I know you have a lot of questions, but you know, my whole thing has been trying to get people to focus more 
on building muscle, not to become bodybuilders, but you know, where you burn fat is inside muscle tissue primarily. So if you really just focus on fat loss, you can restrict your calories, you can burn muscle at the expense of losing fat. You know, you can do a lot of things wrong. And like I said, I mean, really the, the site of action in the body where, where fat is burned is in skeletal muscle. So I want to reframe kind of the thinking, you know, and kind of set the bar for this whole conversation. I know we'll take a deep dive, but the way to properly burn fat is to have healthy muscle. And okay. so I'm working on a new book right now that's all about muscle. And again, not to put people in to be like CrossFitters and bodybuilders, but you need to have healthy muscle. So resistance training is going to get you there doing straight up cardio. And I can tell you backstories about my own personal experience with cardio and how I lost lost a lot of muscle and, and all these different stories of clients. But really, that's kind of the framework is focusing on, you know, gut health is a big part of it, but but maintaining lean muscle mass. So yeah, that post this morning was pretty interesting because a lot of people were, were chiming in. And it's, you know, I get a lot of questions, Clark. I mean, that's why I kind of wrote the book Belly Fat Effect and and do what I do because people on Facebook and Instagram and all these social media sites ask me a lot of questions and they say, I'm doing everything right. I seem to be eating a higher, uh, you know, fat, low carb diet, ketogenic diet. I'm exercising, doing yoga and things are still not working. So I think that's kind of, you know, broad picture overview. But, um, did you have any specific kind of launching points that you wanted to dive into? But I'm curious right now, you know, were you always the dude posting the, uh, shirtless Instagram photos or what was your story and how did you get so passionate about what you're doing? Yeah, that's that's a really great question, Clark. Actually, I think that's my second uh, Instagram selfie, and, and and I've had like seven hundred posts. So I'm not that guy, you know. There's yeah. a lot of that. Both men and women in the Instagram community love the the selfie and stuff like that in front of the mirror. Um, I mean, I do that for two reasons: to inspire people and uh, let them know that I practice what I preach. You know, because there's a lot of people. Sure in our space, in the health space, and they're paradoxically overweight <laughs> or, yeah. you know, or they talk about, you know, there's, there's some new books out lately about making money online and the people that are writing these books and, and how to like grow your Facebook and make all this money. And you look at their Facebook and they have no engagement, right? So you're like, yeah. how are you a Facebook expert? And you get two likes, you know, right. kind of thing. So really, I mean, I just posted random pictures of workouts, hiking, uh, my body, just to show like, hey, I practice what I preach. I'm, I have real life struggles just like everyone else here. I'm a real person. And, and so that's why I do it. Um, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not like a narcissistic thing at all. It's, a, it's a, um, almost a credibility thing. Like you can have whatever too. Um, and some people are uncomfortable with sharing results and all that. But ultimately, I think, again, it's, it's the credibility and it's walking the talk. Yeah, great point. Um, so, so anyway, like how, how did you get into it? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Great. Sorry. Uh, I've been involved in fitness for a very long time. You know, basically I grew up in Northern California and it was a little sketchy. And so like at school, like my bike would get stolen right in front of me and this, like, you know, these Hispanic gang members would like steal my wallet and stuff. And I'm like, you know, nine years old. And I was like, you know, I just don't want to go through this anymore. So we started lifting weights and boxing and playing football and, and all that sort of stuff. So throughout high school, I just read all these bodybuilding books and fitness magazines. And this was kind of pre-internet days, but there was some forums starting to emerge about fitness. So got in that way and then um, hurt my back de- doing deadlifts and, and squatting in college and then actually found cardiovascular training and, and wanted to be like a pro cyclist and, hmm. and all that. So I learned really quickly that uh, aerobics is very catabolic. So all this muscle that I'd spent 10 years building, I lost it within three months, you know, doing this, all this cycling and stuff like that. And then, wow. and that's how I got into functional medicine because, you know, I got really depressed and I was really skinny and had no energy and, and lack of focus. And so anyway, it brought me back to kind of my roots of, you know, maintaining skeletal muscle, eating a high protein, high fat diet, 
you know, and cycling the carbs based upon your training schedule and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, about 10 years ago, so this was back in 2005 when I kind of discovered the whole paleo thing and was researching a paper actually on evolutionary causes of depression because I was like really down, you know, doing all this uh, resistance, sorry, cardiovascular based training cycling. And I came across Lauren Cordain's work. So I moved to Colorado got a job, met Lauren Cordain in 2006. And back then, that's where functional medicine was really taking off. This whole integrative medicine community was was burgeoning in the Boulder, Colorado area. So started going to all these you know, seminars and stuff like that. And here we are now where it's like, you know, the microbiome and functional medicine and paleo are kitchen table topics. So that's the long and short of it. So uh, when you were doing the, the bodybuilding or more muscular phase what weight were you at and then what did you get to when you were doing the long endurance cardio? Yeah. So like right now to give your listeners an idea, I'm six one, about 195 pounds. So it, like at the end of high school, beginning of college, when I was really like at probably the fittest of my life in terms of resistance training, I was 215. Mm-hmm. So pretty strong, you know, and then when I started doing a lot of competitive bike racing and don't get me wrong, I love endurance training because the endorphins, but I know it's not the healthiest for you. So I got down to 168. Hmm. So I lost a lot of a lot yeah. of muscle. And so I was really I went from like, like 45 really, pounds, right? Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Like people didn't recognize me. They were like, what's wrong with you? Like oh. you look sick and all this. And I felt really light. Like on the bike, I could go climb hills. You know, I could I raced with professionals in Boulder, like the pro one two class and stuff like that. But I just felt terrible on the inside, you know, and it's mm-hmm. kind of this. What I see, you know, with runners and, you know, ultra marathon type people is it's a vicious cycle. You know, when you're not exercising when you when you're at that elite level and you're not exercising you feel depressed so then you go over exercise to self-medicate and that kind of adds insult to injury so it's this vicious cycle where the only time that you really feel good when you're doing all this endurance training is when you're training <laughs> and then when you're not training you're rec- eating and then worried about when you're going to train next so it's hmm. a vicious cycle whereas if we talk about like today like what's healthy just going to the gym lifting weights doing resistance training throwing in some yoga some hikes on the weekend for that cardiovascular training i'm not saying people should totally not do cardio, but it gets very extreme very quickly. And that's very counterproductive uh, for your physique. So then uh, let's say I meet Mike at a party, I'm 30, 40 pounds overweight. And I go up to you and I'm like, Mike, how do I lose the weight? And you can only give me an index card with like, whatever you could fill on it, what would be Mm. kind of the big overview Mike approach to getting healthy? Oh, man, that's an awesome question. I love that. Short and sweet. So what I would say is first things we have to focus on your morning routine and your daily routine. So overlaid into this whole metabolic physiology is this circadian rhythm. And so everything from cortisol, testosterone, all these hormones, digestive enzymes, hydrochloric acid rise and fall in a predictable circadian pattern. So we want you, Clark, or whoever this person is that's a little overweight to get up and go to bed at the same time every day. So Mm -hmm. that's like cheat sheet number one. What time? What time would you recommend? Ideal like 10 to 6. So go to bed at 10 p.m., get up at 6. Everyone's a little bit different, you know, and it depends on your work schedule. Are you a new parent? Do you have a new job? Are you traveling? You know, but if you do, we all have to stay up for deadlines, right? Like when I was writing a book, I know you work on big projects. Sometimes you stay up till midnight or 2 in the morning. So wear the UVEX blue light blocking glasses. They're $4 on Amazon.com. They're really awesome. Um, so yeah, around 10 to 6 is, is really perfect. And if you're training more, you might need to sleep more too. So if you're competing or you're doing a lot of heavy lifting, and we can talk about heart rate variability biofeedback to give you an idea about if you're sleeping enough or, or not enough. So, okay, Clark's going to get up at the same time every day. 
ideally, you would do some sort of mindful-based practice first thing in the morning. So this can be Tai Chi. My favorite is yoga and uh, heart math. So that's a really good way. And the idea here is to really kind of reset your mind for the day, right? Because if you have a negative thought pattern and view uh, life through the lens of negativity, you're going to have bad relationships and maybe make poor food choices. So meditation is really huge. A lot of great research, as you probably know, Clark, that's emerging on meditation. So if people want to get into this, heart math is a great tool. It's a little biofeedback device that connects to your earlobe. It's Hmm. non-invasive. It will give you insights into your parasympathetic versus sympathetic response. So it's really cool to start the day that way, just 20 minutes. And then this is ideal. You would kind of have some coffee after you do that, maybe write in your gratitude journal for five minutes, then do some some, uh, cardio on the treadmill just for 15 to 20 minutes. Now, the purpose here is to kind of wake the body up. And also, first thing in the morning, we actually are still burning fat because when we're asleep, our body maintains our metabolism and our brain function through raising blood fats. And so your mitochondria, your fat-burning engines are really active Hmm. while you're sleeping and also in the first part of the morning. So if you do some steady-state cardio just to kind of kickstart the process – Again, we're gonna. The real action comes later in the afternoon when we get into the weight room. But you have a little bit of caffeine, a little coffee, green tea, bulletproof coffee, whatever it is, while you're doing your treadmill work. So I put it on an incline, maybe four to five percent, and I'll oscillate the speed. So sometimes I'm walking. Like before this interview, I just did a sprint at 10.5 miles an hour for 90 seconds, just to kind of wake up my brain. So that's another cool thing about cardio. We're not only helping to burn fat a little bit, kickstart the day, but it's really good for brain-derived neurotrophic factor kickstarting the brain and all those neural networks, you have a really productive day, okay? So that's ideal. So the first 40 minutes of our day, we did 20 minutes of heart math or yoga meditation, and then 20 minutes or you know 15 to 20 minutes of some treadmill-based work. Then we can launch the day with some breakfast. So I like protein and fat first thing in the morning. So this can be a shake. Again, I like real food first, probably as you talk about a lot on the show and so forth. So eggs and avocado, this can be you know four, two to four ounces of grass-fed beef with avocado or walnuts, something like that. So protein and fat are key. And then go about your day, go to work and so forth. And the key is, I like to encourage my clients you know, to do this, is it's not just about doing you know the aerobics in the morning or weight training in the afternoon, which I'll get into next, but also at the end of every hour, get up and walk around at your office. You know, A lot of people just think that because they work out before work or they, they're going to work out after work that they can sit all day. You probably heard the stats, you know, sitting is the new smoking, right? So we want people to get up and just go run up the stairs real quick, go to the bathroom, just get up and move just for like 30 seconds or 90 seconds throughout the day. Lunch, you're going to have vegetables, you're going to have lean protein. The other key part about all this that I forgot to mention about breakfast is eating mindfully. This is really a big point that a lot of people forget. I go to all these health conferences. I've been doing that since 2006. And people just, even medical doctors that are, you know, have reputable names, just sit there and wolf down their food. I mean, we're just, you know, ingrained, like everything's fast in our society. How quickly can you make money? How quickly can you lose weight, right? And so when it comes to eating, slower the better. So we like to have people slow down and really take 15 to 20 minutes for all meals. And that's really going to optimize the digestion. I know, Clark, you've talked, had some guests recently talk about gut hormones and gut bacteria. So you know, it's not just about what you eat, how you eat it. That's a key point. Uh, and then lastly, our, our most anabolic window, as we introduce this call to talk about uh, how important muscle is for fat burning, the, the time of the day that we're most anabolic is between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m., hmm. So it's a great time to do your resistance training. So that can look that can be three to four days a week of hitting every body part and kind of I'm, I'm a little old school in this sense. Like I love forward thinking and new ideas, but when it comes to fitness, I look at people like Lee Haney and Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and Frank Zane, some of these older bodybuilders that had amazing physiques. Yeah. And and so just you know squats, deadlifts, overhead presses, 
you know, compound body movements. And just to give people a little perspective, when you do a, a squat, and this can be body weight squat, you don't have to put four plates in the bar. You know, for people starting out, if you're just new to this, you activate over 200 muscles in your body when you do a squat hmm. from the glutes, the hamstrings, the core, all over the place. So I encourage all my clients, and it's interesting, like when I meet with clients, I don't see a lot of clients anymore like I used to. But the clients that I maintain and, and work with on a regular basis, they still work. They, when I first meet with them, I'm like, yeah, well, how, how are your workouts? What are you doing? They're like, yeah, I lift upper body. You know, I do a little you know, yoga and this and that. And then when it comes to uh, their legs, they're like, yeah, I kind of I stopped doing legs. I stopped playing after I stopped playing football or after volleyball in college. You know, one woman that I work with, she doesn't do legs. and Or back injuries. Low back injuries and people forget about it, you know, because yeah. they don't. You know, you're wearing uh, sometimes like, you know, people wear tank tops or short sleeve shirts, but you don't really in a work environment show off your legs. And so it kind of loses our priority. Plus, it takes a lot of mental energy. And like mm -hmm. I mentioned, you're activating 200 muscles when you do a squat. I mean, if you're out of shape and kind of eating gluten and not getting enough sleep and drinking alcohol, the last thing you want to do is a squat because yeah. it, it's really challenging, right? But here's why I encourage everyone to incorporate leg movements. There's a lot of research showing that muscle tissue in the legs is where diabetes and leptin resistance starts. So it's <laughs> huge. And so what happens is if, if we go to like um, you know, Sam's Club or Walmart and get some junky meat, that marbled meat that's all fat, that's intramyocellular lipid deposition. That, that, that fatty meat that's from commercially raised cows, right? We want everyone to eat grass-fed meat. Why? Because it's leaner. It, it's not marbled. It doesn't have those, you know, those omega-6 fatty acids kind of embedded in that. Well, if you neglect to train your legs, that's what they look like. And that's really a problem because insulin latches onto muscle tissue to let glucose into the cell and so forth. And, and leptin as well latches onto muscle tissue. So if you have marbled meat in your legs, you're going to be leptin and insulin resistant. So what does that mean in simple terms? You're going to be pre-diabetic and you're going to have food cravings, wicked food cravings and have weight loss issues. So it's important, like if people are like, okay, what's the take home here? Move your legs as often as you can get them really strong. You're not going to get a big donkey butt and look weird like a bodybuilder. You know, um, I interviewed Christmas Abbott, a, a kind of a famous CrossFitter uh, recently. And we were talking about how glutes are the new abs, you know, because they're more functional. Anytime you move something like me standing here, I'm just standing right. I'm using my glutes. You know, if we're going to pick up a child, if we're going to go out and walk our dogs, we're using our glutes. They're really uh, involved in every movement that we, we incorporate and they're huge muscles. So, um, all, they, we'll end this kind of workout thing with, with move, move, do movements, not just focus on isolating body parts. A lot of people go to the gym and they do like arm curls and stuff like that. So, so that's finishing up, uh, you know, kind of that routine. And then at night we definitely want to have a, a lighter dinner. You know, a lot of people like skip meals throughout the day and have a big old dinner, uh, minimize alcohol, and then do some sort of stress reduction technique, like, you know, heart math or meditation before bed and make, make sleep a priority. You know, we're learning so much now about sleep and the lack thereof, how that affects our metabolism. So making sure that you have a routine where you're turning out the lights, making it a priority and, and getting that full restful sleep. That was a long index card, Mike. <laughs> I was just going to write down just the bullet points and then I expanded. On that. Yeah, like, no, it's great. It's great. There's a lot in there, obviously. Um, so very good information about building muscle, getting lifestyle practices in there. So I'm curious then, uh, I get that index card. And now I'm I'm 40 pounds overweight, primarily fat. Let's just say I work a pretty sedentary job. Um, I'm 
you know, I have a gym membership. Maybe I go two or three times a week. I've tried to work out in the past and lose the weight, and the weight's really getting to me. How would I go about losing fat? Just fat loss, Mike's approach on that. Yeah, great, great question. Well, I would want you just to start walking, light walking, you know, maybe 15 minutes, four days a week. And then you can slowly incorporate the resistance training. But the idea is we just want some small base hits. So progress begets more progress. And so if we have you, you know, big mistake I see people do is they're really overweight and then they're flipping these big tractor tires and swinging hammers and they hurt themselves, hurt their back. And the easiest way to get out of shape is to get an injury, you know? So I would definitely not want you to, yeah. to start fast. So this would be like body weight movements for 15 to 20 minutes at home. So the, you know, ball squats, you know, mm-hmm. sitting here doing things like that, push-ups, and then just really walking and getting moving. And the idea with that is you're going to mentally, cognitively, you're going to feel really good. If you're overweight and you haven't done anything, going for a walk is like therapy, right? You can get a lot of benefits from that. And then I would want you to start on a ketogenic diet, you know, because that can really help, uh, particularly in the short term, just really reducing the carbohydrates, relying on this fatty acid metabolism, cranking up the mitochondria. For a lot of people, um, women included, particularly postmenopausal women, can have a huge effect. So that would be like step one and then just focusing on sleep and then also mindset. I would say, okay, Clark, so why do you want to lose the weight? What, you know, try and tease out some bigger emotional idea here. Because if the if the belief is not there, if the mindset, if the logic and rationale is not there, people are just gonna fall back and you know, not do it. I mean, there are some recent studies where people have lost weight and then they get suicidal because no kidding, someone from the public, this was a recent study that I read, out of the blue came up and said hi to this woman, you look beautiful. And she she felt suicidal because she had never had that kind of emotional connection with someone before, right? And so we'd want to like kind of tease out. So I think, you know, we we talk about all the physiological aspects of moving and weight training and diet, but mindset is so big. So I like to, you know, kind of tease out some of the work from, you know, Tony Robbins and things and just say, okay, like let's link your goal with something bigger than yourself. So like in your example, Clark, like what is it? Do you have a grandchild? Not not that you're overweight, but the hypothetical that you created. Do you have a grandchild? Would losing weight make you more credible and give you more energy at your work environment, for example? Maybe you coach a sales team and, and uh, you know, you sell health products or something like that. I don't really know. So we'd want to tease out some of that mindset aspect as well because that's a really important point, I think, to, to weight loss that folks don't talk about. So uh, in one of your videos, I think it was on your site, I heard you talk about kind of two methods for fat loss. And the first one's that thermo method of speed up the engine, caffeine, exercise, calories in, calories out. And if you're energy deficit, then you, you lose weight. And there was a second one you talked about more like a functional medicine gut approach um, can you talk about those two methods? Do you know what I'm talking about on the yeah, video? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that those were in the same video. They're two separate videos, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of them, you know, we, we basically talked about, um, the, the cellular, like how fat is burned at the cellular level and it's inside muscle tissue, you know? And so that's really, I mean, obviously your brain uses fat in the mitochondria and so forth. But when we talk about large quantities, like when people refer to fat loss, mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, this, this lipid cell, this lipid droplet and utilizing mitochondria and basically freeing up these fatty acids to be shuttled, to be liberated, uh, to be burned in the mitochondria. So one tip to kind of increase that is caffeine. So I know caffeine kind of has a bad wrap 
um, you know, there's all these, you know, kind of myths about adrenal fatigue and this and that and affecting sleep. So caffeine can help to liberate those free fatty acids so that we can burn them in muscle tissue. So that's a really important way, you know, to, if you're going to work out like that overweight person that you mentioned, the hypothetical, having a little bit of green tea or coffee before that can, can actually help with the neurology of, you know, you can push yourself harder without it feeling as challenging, but you also make fat burning more efficient. So that's a really important aspect. And then, you know, kind of the other other arm is the, the gastrointestinal tract. And this is a, a piece of the puzzle that a lot of people kind of, you know, they just count their macros and they don't really know, you know, or talk about what those macros are doing inside the GI tract. But, you know, basically right now, if we were to be cooking some really tasty and, and good smelling grass fed beef with onions and turmeric, like just the, the smell of that food would cause our cephalic phase of digestion to begin going. And so all these hormones release from our GI tract. So basically, let me pause. Our gut is basically a, a shipping and receiving center. Okay. So it, you get, you put stuff in and then it's going to process it and bring it out and, and, you know, partition that for the rest of the body. And the way that it communicates with the rest of the body is, is these, these categories of hormones called the incretin hormones or gut hormones. And so it's an important part of the fat loss process. And so if we think about the success of bariatric surgery or gastric bypass surgery, like how do people lose weight you know, after they get gastric bypass? It actually has nothing to do with restricting how much food they eat. It has everything or at least 75% of the benefit. And again, I'm not promoting this surgery. I'm just admiring the pharmacology. When, when individuals get gastric bypass or bariatric surgery, the way that they lose weight is by a dramatic increase in these gut hormones. And these gut hormones affect the brain, they affect the mitochondria, they affect the muscle tissue that we've been talking about. They make you more insulin and leptin sensitive. And they also change the ecology of the GI tract. So these are called the incretin hormones. There's a lot of great research on this. And actually new diabetic drugs are going after these hormones, making synthetic analogs or enzymatic inhibitors. So an important way to kind of optimize your fat loss and, you know, kind of building muscle, you know, in this whole conversation that we're talking about is mindful eating, chewing your food, eating fiber and eating phytonutrients. So these are turmeric, raspberries, blueberries, rosemary, ginger, garlic, like all those phytonutrients that make food taste really good. People know them to be like antioxidants, but they're much more than you know, free radical neutralizers. They do so much more, but they also affect these gut hormones in a powerful way and increase the diversity of our microbiome. So those are kind of the two main branches, you know, when people talk about kind of hacks, if you will, mm -hmm. to optimize fat loss, you know, that we can kind of fine tune the switches, you know, with the caffeine on the fat loss side inside the muscle and also on the gut hormone side. Uh, so you said that fat is burned inside the muscle. Can you elaborate on that for people who are hearing that for the first time? What, is, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at the kind of the molecular level, you know, so our muscle actually stores fat, a little bit of fat inside the, the myocytes. So this is called the intramyocellular lipids and so forth. And so when we start moving our muscle, we take oxygen, like when I breathe right now, what, what is that for? What does that do? Well, literally it creates cellular energy. And so what we can do is utilize free fatty acids, take them inside the mitochondria, split them up into, uh, into the Krebs cycle and so forth, and literally convert, convert those free fatty acids into cellular energy called ATP, utilizing oxygen. So that's the most efficient way to burn fat. And so that when we move our muscles and we start to feel that burn, that means that the ATP is not keeping up with the lactic acid buildup and so forth. So that's why your lungs start to burn when you're doing sprints and so on. And so, you know, that's basically like 
metabolic that's metabolism like when you study biology and look at oxidative phosphorylation and all that sort of stuff so that's that's kind of how it's burned and so the how does that become dysfunctional is when people become insulin resistant okay because if you're insulin resistant you really can't aerobically burn fat and so what you kind of thrive on is burning sugar and so that's why we see pre-diabetic people tend to have higher levels of inflammation the immune system loves sugar and the so-called anaerobic metabolism if people want to geek out on this go to youtube and type in the warburg effect and you'll learn a little bit more about that and, and kind of you know this is this metabolic inflexibility and so as people get more overweight more pre-diabetic or diabetic also more inflamed. So Hashimoto's, arthritis, MS, any autoimmune condition, asthma, allergies, you know, people's metabolism due to the inflammatory burden that they have in their body or in their microbiome or intestinal permeability, their metabolism literally shifts. And so I talk about this a lot in the book, Belly Fat Effect Chapter 4. It's really interesting how our immune system can, no kidding, restructure, reshape our metabolism and pivot us out of this fat burning in the muscle using oxygen, which is the preferred way to this anaerobic breakdown uh, without the use of oxygen, breaking down primarily, primarily sugar. And so it's kind of important for people to understand that because we see all these ailments, these diseases, which will reduce your quality of life like cancer and Alzheimer's disease and so forth linked with this the so-called Warburg effect or the glycolytic metabolism of sugar. So does that kind of explain it a little bit better? Yeah. I'm, uh, so adding in like a resistance training protocol is a good way to use that effect, like it, like in layman's terms with the muscle and the, the mm. fat effect for people who are still wrapped up in the fact that like, I, I want to lose fat, so I do cardio. Yeah. Um, Love it. I see where you're going. Yeah. Okay. So, so because fat is burning the muscle, the more muscle we have, the more fat burning engines we have. And so that's kind of, I think what you're saying. So an adaptation, mm -hmm. uh, like a positive aspect of training, weight training, whatever conditioning you do, you increase mitochondrial density. And so as I, if I fail to, to mention it, I'll mention it again, you know, these little fat burning engines where the fat is burned in, to make cellular energy, uh, these are inside little cellular organs called mitochondria. And so these are comprised about 10% of our body weight. They're really you know, quite are profound. And so these mitochondria get sick when we get more overweight, more sedentary. Uh, as we age, they don't function as optimally. So that's another aspect of like, you know, anti-aging is is moving more, doing more exercise, like building muscle because it, it becomes harder and harder to actually hold on to lean, healthy muscle tissue as we age. We get more catabolic. You know, the ratio of anabolism to catabolism starts to pivot and favor catabolism. So we're breaking down faster than we're rebuilding as we age. And so like if people are listening and they're 50 or 60 or 80, that's really important that you focus on muscle um, as well. So yeah, so the idea about like to, to reframe, just to summarize that, that aspect, the more muscle you have, have, the more mitochondria you're going to have and the more fat kind of the more potential you're going to have like if you pull back a slingshot mm -hmm. like that slingshot's getting bigger and longer so that you, when you release it you have a lot of like potential energy and so that's kind of the idea okay and can you talk about calories in calories out um you know that whole concept or uh what do they call it the law of thermodynamics <laughs> or something uh, yeah what is is that important does it work should people pay attention to it? 
Great, great question. I mean, certainly calories matter, you know, but they're not the the end all be all. And it just depends if people like checking in with everything. I mean, there's different apps now where you can track your macros. I was just teasing my wife the other day, who's she's super lean, more lean and ripped than I am, and she's 40, right? And so um, she loves tracking her macros so that she can see, okay, like I had a good workout that day. Oh, I had a lot of carbohydrates. So carbohydrates before legs is good for my body. It may not be good for everyone, but it works for me. And so she likes to track that. And so the idea here is they certainly matter, mm-hmm. but I like people to look more at like get a baseline of what they're eating. So you can write write down in journal, okay, so for breakfast I had a protein shake with a avocado, I had a salad and grass-fed beef for lunch. I kind of track things just to get a baseline idea. And then once you start shifting things around, then you can see if it's working. But counting calories, literally, I mean, PhD dietitians can't follow it, can't track it. You know, And these are people that are super invested and interested in nutrition. So the average Joe that's like a finance person or an accountant, they're not going to be interested in, in doing that. So they certainly matter, but but I don't necessarily suggest go out and start tracking them. But here's the idea. If you do a very low-calorie diet, it can be very you know, counterproductive for you. And so this was New England Journal of Medicine. This is how I got into all this. Uh, one of the major kind of pivotal research articles that convinced me that the gut hormones are really powerful. So this study, I'll just kind of break it down to you. New England Journal of Medicine, by the way, is a very traditional, very well-respected medical journal for folks don't know that. So they did a 12-week clinical study where they had severely overweight people go on a calorie-restricted diets. They had 1,100 calories per day, okay? And what they tracked pre and post, uh, there was no exercise intervention. It was just dietary, right? So they just had this really low-calorie diet for 12 weeks. They assessed insulin sensitivity markers, body fat percentage, and gut hormones. So those hormones I was mentioning that are released from the GI tract that affect appetite, anti-inflammatory processes, and so forth, they checked the gut hormones. After the study, they were significantly suppressed, They did a follow-up 18 months later, measured the same biomarkers that they measured at the start of the study. This was a big cohort, about 80 people. They found that the gut hormones were still suppressed. Mm. So a short-term low-calorie diet can have super profound long-term deleterious effects on your metabolism because your body's trying to compensate and regulate. So basically, it's like if you... were to take your family's checking account and just cut it in half and say, okay, you know, how you're gonna have to change your quality of life. You're not gonna go out to dinners, you're not gonna travel as much, vacate. So the body does the same thing and it starts to slow down these metabolic processes. So what we're trying to recommend for people is forget about restricting things improve more of the good things that actually work. So build more muscle so that you can increase your resting metabolic rate and you can maintain the same level of calories, but burn energy at a faster metabolic rate and you don't have to restrict anything. So that's kind of the message that I want to leave people with. And there was actually, I don't know if someone shared this recently on Facebook, uh, the biggest loser, you know, kind of this competition that's, you know, on TV and stuff right now, they were, they were some school, I don't know the school did a research study and found that people that had went through that started to regain the weight after right? Because again, it's just how much weight can you lose quickly? Like it's a competition, right? It's water weight, it's fat mass, it's muscle mass. It doesn't matter what you're losing, just lose it as quick as you can and you're going to win. And that's not what we're saying here. It's like, I would rather have people gain weight, gain muscle and slowly over time reduce their body fat percentage. And so that's kind of the take home here is, yeah, certainly they matter, but don't start counting them because you're just going to drive yourself crazy. Probably with that biggest loser thing too, I think one aspect that gets severely overlooked is the education component of health and that you got to treat health as a almost a hobby you're taking on and you got to get excited and learn all the different aspects and take responsibility over what you're learning. And uh, 
part of that is with The Biggest Loser, I'm sure they were getting educated and this is a whole new lifestyle change for them, but it's overwhelming and they had coaches do it and training staff and, you know, all day, every day, just immersed in this program. And then when they're out of it, maybe they didn't learn as much as they could could have, not uh, no fault of their own, but that continuing education wasn't there and it's easy to slip back in when you feel like it was all the trainer doing it for you and you didn't really know what you were doing. So that's why uh, Soapbox stepped down for Clark. But uh, that's why, you know, podcasts like this and information like this and reading and educating yourself makes you healthier in the long run. And you're like investing in yourself, investing in your health. Um, so you have all the responsibility. Yeah, uh, Clark, beautifully said. And I recently read a study, too, that people that read diets, read diet books and follow them to a T generally actually don't do as well as people that kind of like break the rules and go out and say, okay, well, that doesn't totally work for me. What I like to do is this, like instead of bulletproof coffee with all the grass fed butter, I do half coconut and half, you know, butter. Mm -hmm. And so people that like, if you're listening right now and you're reading all these diet books, searching for answers, break the rules a little bit and like create your own aspect. And that will cause you to learn. You might fail, but you learn a lot through failure. I mean, I failed a million times at a million different things and I will continue to do that, but I always learn every time. And so there's, there's some interesting, this was actually a study in nursing home individuals. And so people that broke the rules, you know, in this nursing home and like, you know, didn't like brought in outside food and like went for walks when they shouldn't lived longer and were more healthier. So like, don't follow everything to a T. And, and so the people like you're saying that don't have the success, they're just sitting there passively letting all these coaches tell them exactly what to do. And so they didn't really learn for themselves. And so I think that's a beautiful point, Clark. I think health, lifestyle, fitness, all this stuff that really doesn't get taught to us growing up if we don't have the best role models or the best parents to model it or something. Um, it's all like a new language. You know, if you were trying to learn Spanish and I dropped you off in Tijuana and you knew zero Spanish, you wouldn't do very well. But if you grew up speaking Spanish and you get dropped off in Tijuana, okay, you can navigate, you can find your way around, you can meet friends, all that. I mean, if you get dropped off in the middle there and you don't know it, eventually you're going to learn faster because you're immersed in it. But there's definitely that learning curve with it. I think health's the same way. You know, a lot of us sometimes maybe we get dropped off five years down the road and we're 20 pounds heavier and we're like, what do we do with this? Um, And we have to learn that along the way. And so I think just like learning anything, you got to kind of learn health, learn fitness, um, all that. Yeah. And to take that analogy a step further, like you're going to use different dialects of Spanish in different regions and also in different environments. Like if you're around, you know, a bunch of adults, you're going to talk more formally. And if you're around maybe younger kids, you might use a little bit more slang. And so that's the idea too, you know, if we want to kind of carry this analogy on into our own body, like there are certain times where you're going to do a higher carbohydrate diet and there are certain times where you're going to maybe fast. There are certain times where you're going to rest more. Certain times, like it's summertime, we're going to be more active. We may not get seven hours of sleep, particularly yeah. living in the Northwest because the sun's out to like 10, 30, 11, like in June, right? So yeah being adaptable and malleable and changing. And so a lot of people are like, what's the protocol? What's the answer? And it's like, there is no protocol. There is no answer. Everything changes all the time based upon your stress load, your activity level, like what's going on in your life. Did you have a new baby? All these things. So just having an open mindset to saying, okay, this isn't static, isn't fixed. My metabolism is changing with the seasons. It's changing with time. You know, as you get older, things are different. So just have that open mindset and and being open and willing to making mistakes and trying new things. No elegant segue, but uh, I heard you talking about 
stress hormones in the morning and the best time to burn fat is in the morning. So if someone wanted to optimize that fat burning window in the AM, what sort of things could they do? Yeah, great question. Well, it kind of goes back to that morning routine a little bit with the index card somewhat, but I like caffeine first thing in the morning with cardio. Again, meditation is huge, you know, so I like to encourage people to get that out of the way first thing in the morning for like 15, 20 minutes if you can. But again, if we're talking just like, okay, how can I like really optimize the fat loss stuff? Yeah. So these mitochondria that, cause now we've kind of defined a couple of things will be easier for folks to kind of reinforce, you know, the teachings that I was saying earlier, you know, the mitochondria that burn that fat aerobically inside our muscle tissue, they're really active at night and then the early part of the morning. Okay. So that's when they're enzymatic functioning, they're these little engines are really revved up, okay? And so that's where doing a little bit of caffeine, green tea, something like that first thing in the morning to just do some cardio just to get things going, to burn a little fat, to raise your resting metabolic rate, to get a nice boost for the day. That's that's where you can do that. And so uh, some people do like lifting weights first thing in the morning. But again, like you mentioned, uh, the cortisol is going to be highest you're in a really kind of catabolic window. So if you are going to lift weights in the morning, some people like to do this, like literally get up, have coffee, go to the gym, lift weights, come back, have breakfast. I don't want to mess up anyone's morning routine. If that's working for you, awesome. But I would say make sure you throw in some branch chain amino acids there as well. So that will help to preserve any, it'll prevent muscle loss, preserve muscle growth. So that's another kind of hack or tip. Like we talked about fat loss. Okay, well, if muscle is the key, how can we optimize muscle functioning and so forth? So branch chain amino acids, glutamine, having a higher protein diet, not super high, but about one gram of protein per kilo of body weight. The research goes up to, says that up to three grams per kilo is beneficial. That's really, you have to be working out really hard. So your CrossFit athletes that are competing at the games, you know, people that are squatting 500 pounds, like, okay, go there. But for your weekend warriors, People that are just you know getting into this, you don't need to go that high. Start out with about a gram of protein per kilo of body weight. Uh, so if someone's listening, they take their caffeine and then they go on a long walk. Um, is do you think that's enough adding it into their diet? Let's just say they're doing everything they've already been doing. I mean, could they see some significant results if they just practiced uh, light cardio in the morning with caffeine walk? Totally. And I would say on that walk, make sure to find a hill here and there. Uh So you never want it to be totally steady state. A a recent study actually, plus one biology, I think it was at McMaster University in in, uh, Canada, showed that 45 minutes of cardio is, there was two arms of the study. It was a smaller study, about 20 people. So they had about, you know, 10 subjects do 45 minutes of cardio. The other subjects did uh, only 10 minutes of work, mm-hmm. and like aerobic on a cycling, but one minute sprint three times. So it was like a one minute sprint, rest for four, one minute sprint, rest for four, and then another one minute sprint. And what they they looked at the end of the study and they uh, biopsied muscle tissue, looked at mitochondrial functioning like we've been talking about. And what they found is that the effects were the same. So it was like literally a quarter of the time. If hmm. you do a little bit of sprint in there. So if you're, if you're someone that, I mean, I have a lot of neighbors, they, every morning at the same time, they do their walk. They're these old ladies are so nice and they have dogs and their coffee and they're chatting away. I think they got the weights, the weights are the best. Some of them do that. Yeah. I've seen that. That's pretty funny, but, but make sure to like do a speed walk here and there. Like, you know, just to break it up a little bit. So you're getting some of that higher intensity. And again, the idea it's going back to making muscle more healthy increasing the, those little fat burning engines, the mitochondria, you can make the mitochondria more dense and more active by kind of raising the threshold periodically. So that can be done either a hill or a sprint. Okay. Um, so that study was fascinating. So it was the 10 minute group did the sprints and then four minute rest three times versus the 45 minute that was just steady state and they had the same results at the end. 
Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Yeah, so if you, uh, I originally saw that in the New York Times. So if you type in, if people are like at the gym right now, just when you get on your iPhone, type in New York Times, sprinting is better than like longer cardio, and it'll it will pull it up. It was the week, so let's see, we're making this on the third of May, so it was the last week in April when it came out. So it's plus one biology. It's pretty cool. Um, how do you recommend people incorporate that uh, intense interval training into their workout? Let's say they have one session to work out both resistance and now sprinting cardio they're kind of overwhelmed uh, do you break it up or can you do it in one session what do you recommend yeah that's an awesome idea like so if you just like have one window during the day I would yeah say you got an it, hour yeah like an hour i would say do it beforehand okay because it's short and sweet and normally the thinking is that like if you lift weights first and then do cardio after you can kind of like catabolize your muscle and like offset some of these gains and stuff like that so you know, the idea is you're going to have a better strength training workout if you're more warm, warm, like literally your body temperature is raised. And that short-term sprint is not going to affect you from like squatting with good form and heavy weight and deadlifting and doing these other things. So I, I do that quite frequently. I won't go as long as a minute, but I'll do like, you know, three or four 30-second all-out sprints. Mm-hmm. And it's just enough to really wake things up, get things going. And you can also kind of superset in your workout. Now, I don't recommend this all the time because it's kind of like a C student in life, you know, juggling all these things doesn't make you better. So if I'm going to go to the gym, I really want to focus on like, you know, hitting my muscles as hard as I can. Right. And so if I'm, yeah, people that jump around to all these sets, like, yeah, it's good for your aerobic engine, but is it really affecting your muscle the way that we want it to? And I think probably not, but again, you can periodize your workout. So some days you're, you're doing more supersets, lighter, higher reps and, and uh, shorter duration rest and other times you're doing long rest. So it just depends on where things are at. But yeah, just to summarize, you know, right there, just make sure that you kind of warm up your body before you work out. What about, uh, uh, jump ropes? I see a lot of guys jump and rope in between. Is that kind of the same effect as that bike sprint? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not all out, but it is full body. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about that, Clark, and we haven't even talked about this, but it's huge. It's just, you know, that cognition, the, you know, exercising your, the muscles of your brain. So the coordination and balance and synchronicity are really key, um, to maintaining a healthy life as you age. Cause you know, you know, as folks get older, they get immobile, they trip and fall, break a hip, and then they pass away three months later. I mean, how many times have we heard that story from friends and relatives? So things like jump rope, you know, one-legged jumps, uh, sprinting upstairs, you know, I like to do things like when I go hiking is like jump from rock to rock, you know, so it's kind of an interesting way. It's like a jump rope in the sense, but you have to be really, it's almost like a meditation because you have to be really mindful in that moment and present and you're jumping and and thinking. So all all that is, is awesome. You know, I see a lot of guys, there's, uh, he's really big on YouTube and Instagram, Bradley Martin. He's big guys like 6'3", 240 or something like that. But he drum ropes everything, like first thing in the morning every day for like Hmm. 20 minutes. Maybe that's why the guys are doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Following some Bradley Martin. Nice. Yeah. Oh, a couple more questions for wrap up, Mike. Um, these are the ones we end on. So Desert Island game, you can bring one book related to you about health or fitness or not, just one book in general. What resource do you bring? Gosh, I have so many favorite books. And I'm actually, as we're talking, I'm looking around at the books you have. So I see a uh, switch and I see they're just for show, man. I don't read them. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, the, the book that I really got a lot out of was by Charles Duhigg habits. And so that was a really great book. And, and, you know, he talks about weight loss in that book and these habits that we do or don't do in our life. So, you know, I've read that one twice. I thought that was really good. I would probably bring that. Yeah. Great book. He's got a new one coming out. I forget what it's called. It's like Faster, Stronger, Smarter, something like that. It's funny. I read the yeah. first half and it was it was pretty good. Not as good as Habits, but I gave it 
I was, you know, gave it to a friend like, hey, check this out. You should read it. And they're like, oh, thank you. And they just took it. So I got to reorder it. I'm glad I heard <laughs> it. It must have needed it. But, yeah, you know. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, I messaged him to try and get him on the show. And he was working on the book at the time. Um, but maybe now, maybe now he will. Who knows, Mike? Um, okay, so that's the resource you bring. Biggest lesson you learned over the past year? It doesn't have to be health, fitness related, but if it is, that's okay too. Yeah, I would say have an open mindset, you know, and this is another great book. Uh, Carol Dweck, I believe, Mindset, and she's at Stanford University. And, you know, for a long time, I, I believed I, these stories in my head that were not true. I mean, we all have these stories and these auto tapes that kind of run in our subconscious. And, and I believed them and thought I was either not good at something or I was good at something. And if I ended up not performing like I thought I was, then I would like be down on myself. So just having an open mindset and just know that, and for anyone listening, like you're never the complete version of yourself. You're always growing. What, well, as my football coach in high school said, you know, in life, you're, you're never standing still. You're moving forward or you're moving back. And so for me, I always want to be moving forward. So like, you know, when I look at some of the YouTube videos that I made like in 2012, I'm, I can't even listen to them because I'm like, oh my gosh, I sound, you know, but you have to start somewhere and yeah. then just know you're going to get better over time. So like you asked several times that 40 pound overweight person that just has to start walking is a great start and that's going to be get more progress. And so having an open mindset and, and you know, believing that you really can do whatever you want, you know, and, and is possible. So for me, I think if, if someone hasn't read that book, Carol Dweck mindset is awesome. Last one, Mike. Uh, what's one thing you've changed your mind on since you started on this health and wellness journey? Oh man, I love these questions, Clark. Yeah, it, it's uh, about fat. You know, for a long time, all I read was clinical research about the microbiome. I mean, for years, you know, that's how I wrote this book and was buried in it. And uh, and so, in, in all the research, like in animal model studies, if they want to perturb and cause dysbiosis or reduce the bacterial diversity in the microbiome, they would give animals a high fat diet. And so, this fat was usually it was corn oil or safflower oil or whatever. But reliably, you know, the microbiome, bifidob healthy levels of bifidobacterium and lactobacilli would drop. These bad endotoxin-containing bacteria would increase. Mm. Intestinal permeability would happen. So I just had in my head high-fat diets or like even though I, you know, have had a moderate, you know, high fat diet my, my whole life, you know, I'd re I just thought this, you know, it's just going to be protein, low carb. And I, I really neglected, uh, honestly, in my own, I'm aiming this, you know, right now for people listening in the book, Belly Fat Effect, I didn't talk about ketogenic diets. I didn't talk about any of that. And I opened, like right after I published the book, I started diving into this, all this research on nutritional ketosis and, and, and all that. So I've changed my mindset on, on fat, you know, and realized that I was, I was, I didn't include that. I was being a little bit ignorant by reading all this microbiome research and kind of getting down, you know, not seeing, you know, the forest through the trees, you know, kind of thing. So yeah. that's something that I've changed my mind on. So, you know, the bottom line is, you know, animal models, you can't translate all that into human stuff and just look at what works for people. And in a lot of the bodybuilding and fitness community, like when people are dieting down, right, they do a ketogenic style diet and get amazing results. So, yeah. yeah. Good stuff, Mike. Uh, the Belly Fat Effect, available on Amazon. Anywhere else you'd like the paleo hackers to go check out? Yeah, that, I mean, the Belo, uh, sorry, uh, bellyfateffect.com. I have some free videos there if people want to take a deep dive into that. I have a podcast like yourself, Clark, at highintensityhealth.com. So a lot, of, a lot of interviews really focus on the microbiome and environmental toxicity and how those things kind of affect our metabolism. So those are kind of the two primary channels. What podcast episodes should they start with? 
Ooh, great question. Gosh, uh, I would say, so this is a deep one with Alessandro Ferretti. I think it was episode number 96. And uh, he's, re- he's one of the people I would credit for changing my whole perspective on ketogenic diets. And so we didn't talk about it, unfortunately, today, Clark, but heart rate variability, a really great tool, you know, using heart math and so forth. And when you are in a ketogenic diet, you actually increase your heart rate variability, which is very positive. So it lowers stress. And so for me, that was a huge eye-opener connecting dietary nutrients to our stress response and, and ultimately our ability to be mindful and present and have compassion versus be all stressed out and irritated, right? So sure. uh, to me, I was like, wow, that's powerful stuff. Yeah. So that was good. Mike, thanks for coming on, man. This was, uh, this was a fun one. Um, appreciate your time. Thanks so much. This is great. Appreciate it, Clark. Mike Mutzel, everyone. Author of The Belly Fat Effect. You can find him at highintensityhealth.com. Man, lots of info on this show. Um, we moved a mile a minute. I am well aware. <laughs> Bounced around a lot. But that's that's good because you get exposed to a lot of different topics. And if you want to learn more about any of those, you can check out the show notes at paleohacks.com. Find which topic interests you and re-listen to that part. Um, we have the transcripts over there, highlights, video version of this show over there at paleohacks.com. Be sure you get that. This week's on-air review uh, from the iTunes store is zero. We don't have any. So if you want to be the first one in line, head on over there. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes page or wherever you found this show. Um, it really does take three minutes. You don't have to sign up for anything. I think you just put in your uh, iTunes account info and you leave an honest feedback rating review. That's all we ask for. And it really helps us out. That's the way you can support this show. PaleoHacks.com, of course, blog articles, recipes, something I've been working on. My personal announcement for this week um, is MyBestJournal.com. I put together a course called The Ultimate Guide to Keeping a Journal. Now, journaling for me has been something I've done for the past uh, six, seven years that has really made a massive impact in my quality of life. been getting great feedback on this course, uh, the people who have gone through it. There's units in there, such as the 11 questions change your life. We talk about uh, the six best journal exercises you can do of all time, uh, the 10 best books, and then, of course, how to everything from A to Z on how to buy a journal, set up your journal, divide it into sections, why this is even different um, than just keeping a diary because it's not. It's totally different. And this is like your tool for growth, just like you'd bad analogy, but take a weed whacker to go weed whack your lawn. Uh, That's the tool for the job. And so for self-growth, journaling is kind of the weed whacker of your mind. And then next week, guys, what would it be like to lose 76 pounds in 24 weeks? Six months, you lose 76 pounds. All right, let's reverse that though. What would it be like to gain 76 pounds in 24 weeks? (laughs) <laughs> um, my next guest for Thursday is Drew Manning, author of Fit to Fat to Fit. We talk about his whole journey with what the weight gain, weight loss does to you physically, but more so mental and emotionally, how it affects your confidence. And then, of course, his tips on how to lose the weight, how he did it, his whole process that he documented on national television. Um, so be sure you tune back in for that show. It's going to be a fun one. Had a great time talking to him last week, and I'll see you back here for it. All right, 
Thanks so much for listening. See you next Thursday.